Hey community, we have a very special interview for you today. Matt sits down with Ableton Live certified trainer, Will Doggett. Will is with from studiotostage.com, so be sure to check that out for tons of Ableton Live resources and trainings. And in today's interview, they talk all things Ableton Live. They talk about how they've seen churches use Ableton and tracks over the years and how it's changed, and also where they think tracks are going to be in the next 10 years. This was an awesome interview. We hope you enjoy it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Loop Live. My name is Matt McCoy. I'm the founder of loopcommunity.com, and have we got a treat for you. Today on the Loop Live show, I've got Ableton Live certified trainer, Will Doggett, the Ableton ninja himself. Will and I have known each other for a long time. We're both Ableton Live certified trainers. We both love Ableton Live and what it can do for worship ministries. You may know Will Doggett from, he was the uh, director of products and training. We could ask him uh, over at Multitracks. And so I am so pumped that Will's with us. He runs a website now called From Studio to Stage, where he just does in-depth training about Ableton Live and using it in performance and in the studio. And he is a wealth of knowledge about Ableton Live. I'm really excited to have this conversation. And we're going to just geek out. We're going to talk about Ableton Live and our experiences with it and uh, maybe where we see things going. So it's going to be really great. If you guys have any questions or comments, we might take some live questions if they're good. So type them in the chats, wherever you're watching it. If you're on YouTube, on Facebook, type in your questions. We might take some live ones if they're good. And uh, get ready, buckle up. It's going to be a great show. Without further ado, let's bring on Will. Will, my man. What's up, Matt? Dude, this is, this is so fun. I'm so glad to do this with you. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I don't know that there's been uh, this much uh, collective Ableton knowledge in one live stream, and I know, you know, maybe we, ever potentially. We may break the internet with this video on Ableton Live in worship. Um, it's very po- hopefully uh, Al Gore kicked up a few extra servers this morning for us to keep the internet going. We'll see, we'll see <laughs> yeah. what he did. I don't think I don't. I, I for sure don't know anybody else who knows Ableton Live better than you. Um, Mm. I think in general, but I think also specifically in the worship space, you know, that's the area that you and I have both been in for a long time. Um, and if I definitely had a question about Ableton live in the worship space, I would be coming to you. And I am just really excited to talk to you about this because we've both been doing this for a long time. And I actually, that's actually my first question for you is, Tell me about your first introduction to Ableton Live and why it grabbed your attention. That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think before I get to live, I I have to always start with I started with Fruity Loops, and I don't know. I guess now it's FL Studio, they yeah. rebranded, which is wise on their part. But um, that was like my first introduction to electronic music or like producing sounds that are not typically like instrument created sounds you know it's not like recording a guitar or something so i got started with that and then live i kind of made the transition to live uh for so many of us from this era was the illuminate crowder cd which had reason and it had the 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 reason files from illuminate from that record i remember Um, that and then yeah, and I just spent so much time kind of researching what these folks are doing, how they're using things. Um, and and then I think my first copy of Live, if I remember correctly, came with my PreSonus FirePod interface. If anyone remembers that guy, um, that was – I'm actually going to see if, if yeah. I can find an image of this. But that was the first interface I got, um, and it had Ableton Live on it. And honestly, for me, my first start with Ableton was recording. 
Like I was a, a, a songwriter, um, uh, you know, at that time I was in middle school or high school, I think maybe high school. So I was recording, writing songs. And then I started to realize it's actually like an instrument to be used live on stage, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, for me, my first intro was, was more from a, a, a songwriter type perspective than a, uh, using it live on stage perspective, which is obviously everything I do now. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that it was from yeah. a recording songwriting perspective. So, well, that was, that was my, that was my initial yeah. take of it, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the thing that attracted me to Ableton, um, you know, obviously, you know, this as a, as a CT, but, uh, originally created for live performance of like pre-recorded content and flexibility, but kind of right. what came out of that because of the way Ableton, the company created live is it was a software that was really, um, lightweight. It was a software that's like, if you need an audio track, you hit command T and you have an audio track. You don't get a menu that says, would you like stereo or return or this right. or that? And so for me, I was drawn not to Pro Tools for recording. I was drawn to Ableton because of its simplicity. And so, yeah, yeah that was my main introduction. But I think you kind of continue to see that now, like because there's always been an emphasis on creativity in the artist yeah. as opposed to an engineer. Like yeah. things are faster in Ableton and they're just a little more streamlined than like Pro Tools yeah. or, or Logic or something like that. Yeah. They help Ableton Live helps keep keep creatives in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're not yeah, like you said, they're not digging in through menus. They want to keep you moving, like no nonsense, like keep you moving, right. keep you in the moment. And I think that's that's what I loved about Ableton Live too. My my first experience seeing it was I walked into into an auditorium and I saw a guy with a computer on stage down by his feet, and he like mm -hmm. started a, just a drum beat that was just doom, yeah. doom, doom. And that drum beat played the entire song. It never changed. It never stopped yeah. <laughs> until like, I think he probably like stepped on his space bar with his foot. Yeah. But, uh, and I remember thinking that's so cool that somehow he's using, you know, a computer and music software along with leading worship. Cause I was always just like acoustic guitar player with a band. I don't even think I ever even played to a click at that point. Oh, wow. So when I saw yeah. it, I was just, I loved it cause I loved leading worship, but I loved technology and it was so cool that you could do the both together. And so I fell in love. Yeah. What about you? Where did you kind of see like this could actually be used inside of worship? Yeah. I mean, I think two moments for me, similar to you, I, um, I was never like super into EDM or electronic music I, since then I've gotten more into it. But for me, it was just the, uh, the concept of like, these are sounds that were not created yeah. by a analog instrument and, and sometimes it is an analog synthesizer so like i don't want people to get caught in that but like the the beeps and boops the blips and beeps whatever you want to call them yeah. like i was really interested in that and in, in integrating that into uh into a worship context and again for me it, it goes back to crowder band and bwack and those guys because for me that was the first uh that that was the era of me starting to lead worship i was in high school uh, I was the guy out front with an acoustic guitar, but I was super interested in like, they just had a different sound to me. And, and looking back sometimes, you know, even still now, a lot of what, when you listen to their stuff, it, it sounds like poppy and produced like today does. But if you can get in a time machine and go back and realize, um, yes, it sounded like that in the studio, but what was unique with Crowder Band is they sounded that way live. Like if yeah. you if you sat center of the room, you would hear panning of these really cool effects that BWAC you know created in in Ableton, um, yeah. or or whatever, and then got them into Ableton. So for me, first it was this idea of like, oh, I can have these extra sounds, which was really cool. The next piece that I was like super hooked was 
um, at Liberty University. I was in the campus praise band there, uh, and it was our second year. Um, and I, I really, I've always been overconfident in my abilities. And so I kind of sold our band leader, David, I said, Hey, our percussionist who was there the first year is gone. So let's actually, let's like use loops. Like you were talking about the, the the kind of, uh, textury, like loopy things, um, one shot stuff. Let's, let's use that, um, to replace our percussionist. And so I remember, I still remember the rehearsal. We were doing everything glorious, ironically enough, uh, a Crowder band song. And we got to the chorus and I just triggered the tambourine to come in in the chorus. And just the the vibe that that kind of brought to the music of having our drummer kind of play a little wider, a little more open and having this tambourine keeping time and, and being a little more straight and a little more like keeping time, if that makes sense to people. Um, we just all I remember that moment. So because we all just like looked around the room like, wow, this is so cool. Uh, yeah. And so that was that was really, really fun. So for me, that would have been sophomore year college 2005 that yeah. i was like hooked like i i'm like this is what i'm gonna do and then it's four years of playing literally every single day in front of ten thousand plus people leading worship with able to live making major mistakes uh that yeah. like lets you just kind of learn how to do it you know and uh and uh it was yeah super super fun though that's so interesting because i for me that's the same thing as far as david crowder that was so influential mm. that album illuminate yeah. and then the a collision i think it was called i actually want to go back and listen to those albums now because i bet it would just be cool to listen to it but they had so many cool electronic elements and you could put the yeah. cd in your computer and get all the reason files and it changed everything it was like and i love that the elements that they were using in the tracks yeah. were just very um definitely stuff you weren't doing live unless you were someone like BWAC. but like most people yeah. were not actually playing those elements live or had someone on stage to play all those beeps and bloops and it was just so unique and yeah. uh so as an ableton live certified trainer and we both are like what we both have seen this space change a lot specifically in the worship space mm. like it's blown up in the past i mean we've been using it for a couple decades almost but in the past like decade even it's like blown up the number of people that are using it in churches and i'd be curious just to hear like what your perspective and experience of that has been. And before you answer, I was just going to kind of give kind of what I was thinking is that, you know, watching worship leaders embrace the software has been really cool for me. I remember, gosh, it was probably 10 years ago. I would do a lot of Ableton live personal trainings, like Mm one-on-one. And there was a time when I first offered those like one-on-one trainings with worship leaders, I was doing like 30 a week, like tons constantly. There were so many worship leaders just like eating it up and wanting to do it now. And um, it honestly kind of started to drift off. And I think it was almost because all of a sudden there was just this flood of new experts. And there's tons of YouTube videos now that cover just bit, mm-hmm. but just about everything in Ableton Live. And it's just been cool to watch like there being what seemed to be a handful of worship leaders using it to now thousands <laughs> all over yeah. the world. And yeah. they're And they're great at it. And a lot of it's from, you know, videos that you've, you've put out. Um, let me give, give me your perspective on it. Like, cause we were both doing the same thing for a long time. What was your perspective of watching this space grow? Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest thing to me, and this is, this is not just, 
this is not just the worship space uh, because that's one one nice thing from studio stage is is I I have a lot of uh, students that are also just mainstream artists and mainstream playback techs. But I, I see this across the board is just this democratization of technology, availability of technology, um, uh, availability of training and resources that has literally allowed like everyone to compete at the same level in the sense of. Um, I, I mean, this this is a bigger conversation for another day. Like, I'm literally, I run a business out of the master closet of my house. Like, and that's <laughs> that's nuts to me, you know. And yeah. um, so that's one thing. But from from a a technology on stage perspective, it used to be like you said, like it was a it was a protected skill set, and, and, yeah. and sometimes in in a non worship environment, you still get that. Some like you still get. Uh, you know, there's not a proliferation of like mainstream artist stems and multi-tracks because those kind of hold the secrets, right? Like you, you there's no loopcommunity.com slash uh, Beyonce where you get like yeah, Beyonce yeah. stems or something. Um, so we still don't have that. So there's still a bit of like the, the closed fist of like, this is a secret we don't want to let out. But what's wild to me is with technology becoming uh, more inexpensive, um, with resources becoming, uh, you know, whether on YouTube or content you put out or from studio to stage or whatever it is, um, more people are learning how to do it. And there's literally cover bands and there's bands of three people that can walk into a club anywhere in the world. There's worship leaders that walk into a school auditorium. That's a mobile church setup that have the same level of technology that, I mean, even five years ago, artists that are out on the road, like would pay thousands and thousands mm -hmm. and have, this is not an exaggeration, literally have like tractor trailer trucks full of equipment and specialized people to run tracks and to do this and do that. And there's literally worship leaders that on Sunday mornings with iPads or iPhones or uh, MacBook Pros or, you know, bless their hearts, Windows PCs, like yeah. running tracks and controlling lights and controlling lyrics and doing all this crazy stuff that again, used to be that kind of like, this is this is protected safe knowledge that we have to guard with our yeah. lives because it's our livelihood. So to me, that's what's super fun is like is literally seeing um, uh, more access to people like like seeing seeing people that are um, uh, smaller bands, people that are smaller worship leaders have access to the same tools, the same resources that that the big guys, quote unquote, like have access to. And it costs so much less. Like that's what's I crazy. I, it's it's nuts. It's Do you remember the nuts. old track rigs we would put together with like the huge racks and like tons of different equipment. Like it would cost like thousands of dollars mm -hmm. to put together a good playback rig. Yeah. And, and I, um, and shout out to you guys for, uh, for track rig and, uh, and, and loop to miss and like all the, the hardware tools that you've created. Um, but I've been doing since 2022, I've been doing these like gear rundowns every Saturday and I literally are amazed there. It's been a couple of videos that are like, um, uh, the best, whatever under a hundred dollars. And, and there's literally probably 15 that I didn't include in that list. Like, yeah. it's just crazy how inexpensive it is and not inexpensive in the way that like, you're going to get it and be disappointed, but you're going to get it and be like, I can't believe this was only X amount of yeah. dollars, you know? And like you said, I mean, I remember the first track rig I built in Florida, South Florida, it was a uh, redundant rig. So we had the radial SWA. I had two Motu interfaces, which thank God I've gotten away from ultralights, but yeah, uh, two interfaces. Um, uh, it was like a whole rig that was probably $5,000 now. And yeah. I, that entire rig exists in a play audio 12 for $500, like two audio interfaces together. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Like, it's absolutely crazy to me. Um, so it's, it's really fun to see like 
I mean, I'm only 36 years old, but in a lot of ways, I feel like a really old man because yeah. both of us have been around for a while and seen kind of this this progression happen. I know. It's, it's exciting, man. It's so exciting. What version of Ableton Live was out when you started using it? I I I can never remember. I want to say um, I want to say five, maybe. Yeah. Like I know some folks were there from the beginning. And I wasn't one of those folks, but I want to say it was either Ableton Four, or Ableton Five. I do remember the point where. And maybe this was from eight to nine, or maybe it was earlier. I do remember the point where they completely shifted the like warping engine and everyone had to relearn how to warp because they improved mm. it. Um, yep. And I remember first learning warping on the old system and then learning the new one. But I want to say it was yep. five. Yep. I think I was at two or three, somewhere between there. Okay. But nice. I totally remember the free discs you'd get like with your NEM audio keyboard uh, yeah. or any sort of interface. And it was awesome. But I do agree that it's so cool how it's because it's become so much cheaper, like all the gear to actually do this, it's become so much more accessible to yeah. all so many more churches, not just mega churches with huge budgets, but now small churches. And it's also really cool how worship leaders have become like self experts in it. And then mm -hmm. they're teaching other worship leaders, you know, in their community or their worship leader friends, like, or they're doing videos, like it is spreading like wildfire. And it's just so, it so cool to see that. Yeah. Um, can it's I, almost can like, I as like fathers or something of like able of like ableton worship it's just good to see like you know your kids like flourish and like it's right. spread and the gospel you know yeah i just uh if you don't i just want to share something really quick um there's a little phrase a kind of a catchphrase we've stumbled on it from CEO stage as i kind of looked at uh, and i have a podcast episode somewhere you can search youtube and find it where i dive into this but we kind of came up with this phrase humbly confident humbly curious and for me, it was looking back over the past 20 some odd years or whatever, of like using tracks and uh, training people and all that stuff where I looked at like my own personal journey. And then I looked at people that subscribed and became students and from studio to stage and have been successful versus folks that like subscribed and, and dropped off really quickly. And, and it came down to humbly confident, humbly curious. And so mm -hmm. um, as you're saying that, I think that's one thing I really want to try to encourage worship leaders listening to this, watching this is there's some people that. Um, they use Prime and they love it. And that's the only thing they're ever going to use. And that's great. There's some people that use Ableton and they think there's no way I could ever use Playback or Prime. And there's yeah. some folks that use Playback and Prime. They go, there's no way I would ever use Ableton. I just always want to encourage people, be humbly confident like in what you've got. Like you got to know your rig. You got to know your stuff. Don't go on stage and uh, try something out for the first time at the 9 a.m. service and then hope it works and try it for the right. 11. Like you got to have it together. You got to have your crap together. Um, but you got to be humbly curious. And that's that second piece of, I spent years like very like this, like the, I know the way to do it. This is my way. No one knows it better than me. There's no yeah. other way it, that exists in the world. Yeah. And, and once I kind of saw other people do it using Ableton in different ways or saw, uh, you know, features that prime added that I was like, wow, this is really cool. So, uh, yeah. people like whoever's watching this, I just want to encourage you know, your stuff really, really well. Um, it's an instrument. That's what I always teach Ableton Live as an instrument. And people say, well, I, you know, Ableton Live isn't very volunteer friendly. I'm like, well, neither is guitar. Like it, yeah. it, it took me three months for my fingers not to bleed. Like what's less mm -hmm. volunteer friendly than acoustic guitar? Um, it's an instrument. So you, you've yeah. got to devote time to it. But just just humbly confident, humbly curious. Hopefully that that hits somebody today and, and just kind of encourages them to like keep keep searching out there, keep seeking. Because again, there's so many resources uh, and there's so much training and content available to yeah. figure out how to do whatever you want to do, which is awesome. Let's talk about what tracks used to be when you and I first started using tracks. 
versus what they have kind of become. And what I mean by that is, you know, you kind of rewind back to when you and I first started using tracks and they were very much electronic elements. You know, we're talking about the David Crowder Mm -hmm. band era. It was very electronic elements, uh, you know, beeps, bloops, glitches, uh, computer sounds. And then over time, it eventually became more of real live instrument tracks or stems, whatever you want to call them. And I'm not sure how you would actually kind of categorize those two things because there was really a shift. When you and I first started using them, no one was using like real life instrument stems. It was all these electronic elements. And so I'd be curious, what has been your perspective on that journey? And have there been any positives or negatives from that transition? Yeah, that's really good. Um, So I think you're right. My kind of action was the the more kind of otherworldly type stuff. Um, and I think the, uh, you know, it's the crowd band stuff. It's the beeps and the boops and the stuff. It's, uh, I was actually looking this up because I couldn't remember the name of the software to save my life, but Spectrosonic Stylus RMX, if you guys yes. have heard of that or use that, um, that, that was kind of the that. defining thing for it. Yeah. It's been a long time. Um, since I, and I had to actually go to their site cause it's not like easy to find. It's not mentioned on the front page here, but, uh, stylus was like their kind of drum programming thing. And that was really huge in the, I don't know, uh, late nineties, early two thousands kind of just error of music production. Cause it was, it was so simple. So uh, Spectrosonics made it really, really simple to do drum programming stuff. And so, yeah, a lot of the sounds you heard were, um, these kind of other textures. It was like drum beats that have been filtered, that have been affected, um, that a drummer would play with, uh, you know, uh, kind of fill out the sound kind of thing. Um, I think that was really, really fun. There was also an era of time. I listened to a, I can't remember what podcast it was, but you did a podcast fairly recently where you were kind of talking about the same thing I'm about to mention. So I'm not copying you, but I think we had a similar experience with this. Yeah. And I actually, actually, this is great because I found it. Um, so I, at one point, had this guy, which I still have. This is the first MIDI controller I ever had. Oh, yeah. This is the Behringer FCB 1010, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it weighs probably the weight of like five Luptimus, Luptimi. I don't know if you if that's the proper plural yep. pronunciation, but um, it, it's it's quite, quite heavy. Uh, and so I had uh, I had that guy. And what I had done is I had assigned, this is actually really cool. I still need to do a video on this. I had assigned a different, um, at the time, I had a collection of loops called, uh, uh, what are they called? Elements. So electronic elements, essential elements, uh, synthetic elements. And I would create those. Um, and I would basically program a pedal to be a different sound. And so we'd get into a song, yeah. I'd trigger a scene, which would be our tempo. And then I would go, oh, I want this this washi loop to come in. I want uh, this, right. this uh, tamarina to come in. And I would trigger that when we wanted it to happen. Um, right. And that was really, really fun. It was very interactive. I had to interact a lot with it. Uh, we would tap tempo stuff out and then I would bring a loop in, the, you know, having the expression pedal, I'd fade loop in. Uh, it was really cool. It was really fun. Um, yeah. And I, I remember doing that uh, with a guy I used to travel with, worship leader, and we had a lot of fun doing that. But then, like you said, um, I don't know, maybe around, honestly, it was it was the the kind of growth of loop community, the growth of multi-tracks that I think that fueled this. And you you have such a big part it, uh, that you played in this is shifting from that to stems, multi-tracks, um, you know, whatever you want to call right. it, where it's basically the, the master recording or a, uh, a re-recording of an artist's song. And as opposed to just getting what we would consider, you know, you and I back in the day, the loops, right? Right. Um, right. Instead of just that, it's like, here's here's uh, pedal steel. Here's the keyboard part. Here's the drum part. Here's the keys part. 
Um, and, and that shift I think was really good in the sense of it helped church musicians replicate what they heard on the radio, what they heard like on the original record uh, right. more easily. It, it allowed smaller um, worship context, smaller bands that didn't have, you know, seven guitar players to play the latest Hillsong song, take those different parts and combine them together to create one kind of great sound, which I think is really good. Uh, you did mention that like, has there, is there any cons to that? I think if I had to think of one con to the shift to more multi-tracks is yeah. for worship leaders that um, don't think of that as an instrument because it's harder to think of Ableton or Prime as an instrument now because it has a lot of instruments coming out of and you think of it as this other thing. It's not an instrument, yeah. but it is. Um, in the same way, you wouldn't ask a guitar player to come show up on stage you know, and you already have another guitar player. You wouldn't let them just play willy-nilly whatever they want to. You would mm -hmm. say, you're going to play this, you're going to play that. And I think one of the downsides to stems, multi-tracks, and worship leaders using a lot of that is um, people that don't view it as an instrument, a lot of times will just download a track from Loop Community, press play and prime and just go. And what yeah. they don't realize is there's you know seven guitar parts and they could take probably three of those out. Uh, they could take this one out and they could use that stuff to supplement the band they have on stage. And I think the absolute worst thing we could do as worship leaders and music directors is ever say, hey, uh, 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 Johnny, I don't want you to play the lead line here. It's, it's in the tracks. And you're mm -hmm. like, what? And I've seen uh, churches that around Christmas time, everyone's got to do Miraculum. And so they yeah. just have their guitar player, like, you know, finger tapping like Eddie Van Halen, but it's yeah. all just Lincoln Brewster's track. guitar part, you know, it's in the yeah. track. So um, I think that's where we have to be careful. And that's where I view this as an instrument. And as a music director, um, you have to be a pastor to your people and pastor them through the music side of it. Um, but I think it's great that we have it. But you just got to be aware, you know, uh, what is it with great power comes great responsibility. And so it's like, um, just be responsible with with all those guitar parts you have and, and don't leave them yeah, all right. in there. Just because they're there, don't leave them all in there. And just just because there's a 18 bar intro, it doesn't mean you have to do that. You know, like cut yeah. that down, make it work for your context. I love the idea of seeing your computer or your iPad as an instrument to play. And yeah. that's actually a part of tracks that I personally really miss as a worship leader. Because right now when I lead, it is kind of just pressing play and playing along with the track. But when I first started yeah. using tracks, I was using like a foot controller, you know, something like this. It wasn't this, but it was something very similar yeah. to this and Ableton Live. And I was using little beat elements, some actually that came from, I'm old enough to remember your website, loopsandworship.com, where you yeah, had all that. those beat packs. And I was actually, I stacked those clips, you know, inside of Ableton Live. And I would use this to kind of control all those different scenes and layers and it really felt like I was playing not just my guitar, but I was playing Ableton Live. And sure. I really yeah. missed that because there was something special about that. Um, yeah. Do you still see people doing that at all? Uh, I don't see um, I don't see a lot of that particular thing. I will say I did a training, and I forgot his name. I did a training about a month ago with a guy who's an MD at a church, and it was more of a like gospel context kind of thing. And he... Um, he joined the call and he had a set in session view, really something to what we're talking about to where like his first scene in the song was just click. Then a second scene was like a loop. And then this, the, the third scene was like two loops kind of combined together. And when he first opened the set, I was like, Oh, this is going to be a tough call. Cause I'm going to say, you know, I would actually 
suggest you probably move over to arrangement view, do this, do that. But as we started talking about the context of what he's doing, I'm like, you're, you're doing the exact right thing because they were basically treating Ableton as an instrument, but really just as like percussion is all they were mm. doing. They, they didn't have yeah. um, uh, stems. They didn't have like guitar parts in it. It was just percussion elements. And so um, uh, that was probably a month and a half ago. And I apologize if you're watching this. I can't, I can't remember your name off the top of my head, but uh, we had a great time on the call. I was showing him the whole select a scene and automatically select the next scene and just press play and go, go, go yeah. which was fun. Um, and so I think there's still a little bit of that. I, I do think there's um, a shift towards people being a little more interactive with whether it's prime or Ableton um, in the sense of like it following them. And um and again, like you said, Prime makes it so freaking easy to like have spontaneity and to be flexible that sometimes you forget it's still an instrument. But yeah. um, I, I'm starting to see more music directors like make decisions like we're going to cut this intro. We're going to repeat here. We're going to do that. And it's still really easy to do. But there does have to still be a musical element of like what makes a good arrangement, a good arrangement, what makes a good transition, a good transition. You've got to know what that is in order to create it as opposed to just press transition button. And that's going to get you really close. But um, I, I dog a lot of times on worship leaders for like relying on drone pads and a bad transition with a drone pad is still a bad transition with a drone pad. It's not a great transition. So yeah. like focus on that. Know your music and pass to your people, even through the music elements, I think is super important. What is the most innovative thing you've seen people doing in a non-church setting. And I'm going to ask you in a second about a church setting, but in a non-church setting, what's yeah. the most innovative thing you've seen people doing with Ableton Live that you're like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been thinking about this since you sent me the question. Cause I was like, there's so many different scenarios. And I think in, in both scenarios, this will be kind of similar, but um, to me, the thing I'm most interested in and kind of the most unique thing I've seen is people using Ableton as, as, um, the, the kind of master control is what I've called it uh, for uh, creating a connected stage or a network stage. Um, and this idea of using Ableton Live to control guitar presets, keys presets, yeah. uh, control video to send LTC simply to, to Resolume or whatever they're using. Um, and, and using Ableton uh, kind of as central control. And that's been happening. I mean, it's not like it's new. Uh, that's been happening for quite a while. But uh, one of the... the um, funnest kind of environments i walked into gosh this is probably two or three years ago now it was um it was right when i had, had launched from studio to stage and i got a call from uh the air force which is really unique and interesting and uh and they said hey we have an air force band out in omaha we want you to come out and like spend some time with them and so i went to uh off the of air force base it was like the surreal experience because they had the the doomsday plane like on the the runway like about to take off it was yeah. snowing so they closed the base down they said only essential personnel and the band was like the band has never been essential personnel for the united states military but they were that yeah. day so i'm like rolling onto off it and um and they had this little rehearsal room and and uh, jared the guy who had programmed this for them had basically watched these youtube videos i did and uh, was using Ableton Live as master control and using Touch OSC to control Ableton Live. And Ableton controlled their guitar uh, program changes on their pedals. Uh, they had, a, I think, a Line 6 uh, Helix for bass that it was controlling, was controlling uh, charts on their iPads, uh, lights, videos, basically everything. And yeah. he had done that with a budget of essentially nothing. Um, <laughs> I don't think at the time they had a redundant rig, but like he just 
watched YouTube videos that I had done, picked it all up and, and like kind of created that from scratch. And that was a cool thing for me to see and sit back and kind of watch them do that and go like, again, that democratization of technology, that whole idea yeah. of taking what used to be super expensive and making it available to everyone. Yeah. Um, that was really, really cool and fun for me to see. Isn't it cool to watch how people maybe took like one video you did on something and then they take the idea and run with it and even expand yeah. upon it and like go even yeah. more geeky and nerdy. And you're like, wow, like that's not at all what <laughs> that, what I was doing with that video, but you like totally ran with it and made it your own. I think that's so awesome. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, that's the goal of like, uh, I mean, you, you know, this is someone who's taught thousands and thousands of people as well too, but like as a teacher, as an instructor, that's like your hope. And I have no real interest in like teaching people um, here how to do something and that's it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I do. I teach people step-by-step -step process, but my hope is to really teach you why. And, and I think that's a yeah. big thing that you don't get from YouTube. YouTube is all about how, how do I blah, 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 you land on a video. Great. Yeah. Um, but what I'm interested in is the why, like, why does this work? And if you understand why this works, then you can then apply that in other places. And I've had multiple times where I've released something and I've had a student or just a random person on YouTube. It's very rarely a random person that comments on YouTube, but sometimes it is where they say, Hey, you could do it this way. Or have you ever thought about that? And, um, I've used Ableton Live for a very, very long time. So it's very rare that someone says something that kind of catches me like, Oh yeah, you're right. But yeah. probably once a year that happens and I go, man, that's way better than the way, than the way I yeah. thought, like that's a way simpler approach. And I just love that. Like, that's so fun yeah. to, so fun to have those moments. And and like you said, see people using content you've created right. and taught for years and years. Uh, it's so, so super cool. So what about in a church setting? You know, you've worked with a lot yeah. of churches, seen a lot of worship leaders use this. What's the most innovative thing you've seen a church do? Yeah, I think um, w the first person that came to mind for me is my buddy, Doug Laws. And Doug is a From Studio Stage subscriber. Um, Doug has been a, a good friend for a very long time. Uh, he was like the very first day I announced From Studio Stage, he subscribed and has been subscribed ever since. Just a great dude. Not just because of that. That's <laughs> That yeah. sounds like, you know what I mean? He's just a great yeah, dude. I know. Um, yeah. But what, what's so cool about Doug is Doug is at a church in the Keys, Florida Keys, uh, you know, and that's an area where there's a lot of people in and out. Like, it's, it's hard to get people consistent. We had the same issue in Fort Lauderdale when I was there for five years of like, that's a town people vacation in. Uh, it's a town people come for a couple months and, during the winter and then leave and right. go back to Canada or wherever up north. Um, so it's hard to have consistent people. So uh, what Doug has done, again, similar to what I mentioned with uh, Ed Offit and with the Air Force Band there is he's using Ableton Live, but he's using it to literally do everything. Uh, it starts their live stream. It switches cameras in OBS. It switches uh, presets on their PTZ cameras. Uh, it changes key and waves tune live. I believe it mixes their broadcast mix what? if i remember correctly um and they do a unique thing where they basically record their rehearsal and then that kind of goes into ableton yeah and they're kind of like mix it but then play back that session uh he's triggering lyrics he's triggering video all sorts of things and um and you, as a worship leader you may be listening to that and going well he's missing out on an opportunity to get volunteers involved well he's got tons of volunteers involved but uh he he did that as a need like he needed people he needed that content to happen it's just him and i uh, actually did a podcast recording with him a couple years ago where doug basically said i did this so that i can be a better pastor to my people so as opposed to me spending um you know the week doing all this technology stuff uh, i can do it once i never have to do it again it's a core principle of what i teach is do it once never have to do it again and then he just spends time pastoring his people which is really cool so um yeah. doug i think from 
in the church context, it's uh, it's what Doug is doing. And I always brag on Doug because when he did the PTZ camera thing, um, the folks that make that PTZ optics actually got an email from Dead Mouse, the the producer. And Dead Mouse was about to go on tour, and he's like, "I saw that video with that church guy. Can y'all help me do that with my rig?" And so I always tell Doug, we call him Doug Mouse, but uh, I always tell Doug that he like inspired Dead Mouse to to uh, do his tour in a cool, unique way. So, that is really um, cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, Doug's a good dude. And if you actually, if you Google uh, Doug Laws, uh, L-A-W-E-S, uh, you'll find the PTZ Optics video where they kind of do a focus on his church. And he's changed some things and tweaked things. Uh, last year, I saw him at an experience conference, and uh, he was kind of telling me some of the stuff he's changed. But um, all in all, it's like Ableton at the center of it and yep. controlling all sorts of crazy things, which is really, really cool. Where do you see tracks in worship going over the next decade? More mm. tracks, less tracks, any new technology innovation you see on the pipeline? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. And I honestly, I kind of go back and forth because everything is cyclical. You know, everything is, um, we go through periods of we want like young and free. And then we're like, no, we want quote unquote authentic worship, which yeah. apparently means just a guy with an acoustic guitar. So then we go to that. And then we're yep. like, no, we want to do things with excellence. So then we go back and then we, you know, we go back and forth. Uh, we can't yep. make our minds up in the church. So yep. um, I, I think there is kind of that cyclical thing um, of um, going from highly produced music to, to music that's a little less produced, but still, I mean, what's funny, I have friends in a, a, a band that's a more kind of bluegrassy, like folky style thing. And I remember getting, not in an argument, but in a conversation with someone and their argument against using track, they reference this band, Rin Collective. Everybody knows Rin Collective if you're yeah. a worship leader. And they're like, we, we want to be more like Rin Collective. And I'm like, I can literally text Steve right now, and Steve can send you his Ableton set with all the tracks that they use live. Right. Like, yeah. Even though it's a little more, quote unquote, authentic or stripped down, they're still, yeah, they're still using live. That's right. That's right. So I think we'll probably see a trend towards... Um, less of the electronic stuff. I think we're kind of already seeing that. Uh, you see that with mm -hmm. like Maverick City music and stuff, and it's more just like um, expressive stuff, airy kind of things. Uh, I think we'll see that. I, I, I'm I, really interested to see, though, in the worship resource space, um, it's almost a point now where it's so saturated that uh, the downside to that sometimes is it doesn't make worship leaders like really be in, in do the work of planning their set. And sometimes I think, and I want to be very careful here. Cause I mean, I worked for a worship resource company for five years and had loops and worship before that. And I'm talking to the King of worship resources. Like huh. I'm not saying what you're you've done is bad. I'm not saying what loop community has done is bad, but I have seen some worship leaders. that are so reliant on, Oh, I can't wait for the master tracks to come out for the new Hillsong album to get them on mm -hmm. loop community um, so that we can yeah. do that song that they're not going. Should I even do that song? Like, right. is that a song we should <laughs> yeah. do? You know, like, yeah. um, I do think it's I, I love seeing mm. local churches creating their own music and then releasing resources for that that people are, are, are finding and using. And I think we're going to I think we're going to continue to see that, um, which is really great. But yeah, I I, I think there'll be ebbs and flows as to the type of sounds we use. Um, I think we're going to probably still keep using stems and multi-tracks, um, which is, which is great. 
Um, but I do just hope sometimes people just pause and go like, we're, we're, we're surrounded by so many incredible resources and tools. Should I do this though? Just because I can, should yeah. I, you know, and I even yeah. say, I go to worship conferences and I start my classes, which is not a great way to sell people on a website that teaches people how to do this. But I tell them, yeah. like, um, you should not use tracks. You should not run click. Like I want to take the pressure off of you. Even people watching this now, like, uh, don't shut the stream down on me, Matt. But like, yeah. <laughs> if you you go to a worship conference and you hear all these teachers teach about all the things you should do and you feel overwhelmed and you feel stressed and you say, I have yeah. no budget, I whatever, then just don't do it. Like there's no, I've yet to find in you know, some yeah. book of the Bible, second epistles that says like yeah. thou shalt use tracks. Yeah. Um, it's like, if you don't want to do it, if you don't have the resources, the tools to do it, don't do it. You know, yeah. um, I literally remember uh, in college in, at Liberty, I had no money as all college students do. And I had an index card written down where uh, gear that I really wanted to purchase Pro Tools, which thank God, God didn't answer that that prayer. But Pro Tools, Logic, uh, Ableton, uh, M-Audio, like I had all this gear that yeah. I wanted. And I would yeah. just pray and ask God, like provide money and means and resources to get that, you know, um, yeah. and like do that. If that's what you're looking for and you need, do that. But you, you don't have to use click tracks and that sort of thing. So just because you right. can doesn't mean you should. Um, but, but you know, pray about it. And, and again, be a pastor to your people first and not like a worship technology expert who happens to someday's pastor as people uh, or her people. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, be serve your people really well. Whatever serves them, do that. I 100% agree with you. It's people over the music. A lot of times we can get so yeah. bogged down yeah. with the technology and you're right, just like the new Hillsong album and just doing every song on the album instead of actually thinking about, is this going to serve my church well? Is it going to serve what we're going through? Yeah. What, you know, is it even a good song for our congregation? So I, I totally agree with you on that. As far as technology, I have two, I was, two questions. One, okay. do, you see where, do you think we're ever going to see uh, tracks end up kind of entering this like AI sense where maybe the tracks follow you as a worship leader, you know, or the click follows you? with your tempo maybe they, there's like a boundary you can set on the click and it stays with you within those boundaries which i know you know ableton has um that feature. have you seen people use that where the click uh, i've seen people? i've seen people try to use that um yeah. i've tried to use that i i mean who knows with like ai and web three and nfts and yeah. all the crap that's right. coming out like who knows what where we'll be in 10 to 20 years but um, I do constantly have this joke I've always wanted to do, and this will kind of spoil it if I announce it, but um, when I was at Multitracks, I always wanted us to devote way too many resources and too much money to making a mockumentary like April Fool's joke where uh, we released a chart app called Chart with like a big AR in the middle and like yeah. someone wearing you know <laughs> AR goggles and they're like oh, see funny. the chart around them and stuff. Um, it's possible that's someone's funny. probably working on it somewhere. but um, um, It would work if it's a contact yeah. lens. That's true. And who knows what Apple will release and we'll all buy yeah. it anyway and we'll use it. Yeah. So, but, um, I, you know, I could see some cool stuff there happening, but the, the one thing I kind of hope I've always been, I've always been really slow to adopt or push back on the whole idea of like the click follows me. Um, yeah. I, I always teach, we play with a click, not to a click. So like th that's a big distinction to me. I do think, we do live in a time to a certain extent where tracks do follow us, you know, and like we can make tracks yeah. go wherever, change key, tempo, whatever. Um, that's exciting. 
But the thing I always push back on is people say, I just want to start playing and I want everything to adapt to me and change to me and me not have to play to a click. And I'm like, well, um, there's certain songs that are just meant to be played to a click and they're meant to be played yeah. at a certain tempo and playing them with a wavering tempo doesn't make it more authentic or more worshipful or better. It makes it like worse in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but then yes, there's times and, and moments of songs where it's like very dramatic and you slow down and you retard and then it gets really right. big and you right. speed up or slow down. Like, and we could do that now. Um, but I, I hope we don't get to a time where a worship leader who's led worship for two years, who can barely play to a click, uh, yeah. turns on a setting in live and just starts playing Phil Wickham songs at like 200 yeah. BPM uh, because they're super pumped and don't realize it. Uh, and the, the tracks follow them. I hope we don't yeah. get to that I hope point. the tracks don't follow them. Like That's right. Yeah. I hope in that <laughs> case, Ableton crashes and it just, it, you know, yeah. but yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, um, I do think the whole, uh, I do think the whole AI thing is really interesting in the production world and the, uh, yeah. like mixing world and i've got a buddy here in austin that we talk yeah. often about like probably in 20 to 30 years there may not be sound engineers because we'll have a perfect algorithm of what it should sound like and it'll do it you know i was just gonna ask you i was thinking this past weekend i'm helping at this church plant in our town it's like 100 people there nice. there's a sound engineer who's like volunteer uh but i was thinking you know what why are there even sound engineers like couldn't we have some sort of mixer that has, you know, we tune the room, first of all, but then once it knows what inputs it's getting, it can like auto mix and make a perfect yeah. sounding mix with the instruments it's getting. Yeah, I, we're not far off from that. I mean, if you think of like a, um, a public address system in a like courtroom or something, I mean, that's what they're doing with Dugan auto mix is they basically have set levels and made sure things don't, you know, talk over each other and um, uh, they've rang out the system so it doesn't feed back. But like, a, a smaller situation like that where you're you have an acoustic guitar and tracks it's like i don't understand why i i'm with you i think what we kind of will know the algorithm and i get that like there's i don't want to reduce audio engineering to an algorithm because there is an art to it but there also right. is the reality that like probably none of us will have jobs and it'll all be wally in like 30 years <laughs> and we'll be on the yeah. spaceship but um i think it's possible like i don't think we're that far off from that yeah do you know of anybody who's actually working on that like auto mixing for um, a digital mixer. Um, so there is the Dugan auto mix technology, which currently okay. exists and Behringer has their kind of rip off of that, but that is more of, um, that's more of just for like public address system and a couple voices yeah. essentially. Um, I have seen, if you go to like CDM, uh, create digital music, Peter Kern's site, uh, I believe Peter's posted some stuff of like auto mix things. And, and, I mean, we're literally in the, not necessarily from the live world, but in the mastering world, like there's all the algorithms and the auto yeah. mastering stuff that you upload. Plugins now can auto EQ things like live in the studio. So um, I, I don't think we're very far off from that. I do have a friend though, that's working on a project um, that it's not necessarily auto mixing stuff, but the stuff they're doing literally is um, yeah. currently impossible to do. Like physics doesn't allow it to happen. And they're yeah. like hired scientists from NASA to help them try to do the math to figure out how to make this happen. Um, and I guess it's a project that's supposed to launch in like two years or something. But Interesting. Um, anyway, just just uh, the stuff that you can get kind of on the peripheral yeah. of that um, is is really wild. So again, I think in 10 years, who knows where we're going to be, particularly once Apple releases whatever AR, VR thing they're working on. 
um, yeah. that again, we'll all buy and we'll say it's too expensive and complain about, but everyone will buy it and use it. And we may it. not so, even be at church. Uh, we'll just be wearing glasses and just sitting in your living room and listening well, to spatial audio yeah. you know, of the worship set. Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, we we just got back from vacation like two days ago, and we were in Florida for uh, probably ten days. And we went to our church in in Fort Lauderdale, where we were there for five years. And um, talking to my buddy Rich there, he's like, "Yeah, we've got a VR campus now." And they hired a a, a pastor, and it's a guy and his wife are basically the pastors of this like VR church that they do. Um, and, and on one hand you look at it and you go like, okay, blah, blah, blah. but then yeah. on the other hand, it's like, there are people that were in that world that then got saved and were believers and want to then use that as a tool to, uh, to minister to people and reach people. And I think the yeah. same people were saying the same thing when there were televangelists and people on TV trying to reach people and going, yeah, okay. We're being yeah. like the world. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very possible. It's very, very possible that 10 years from now to just be put my goggles on and choose, you know, which, uh, which big mega church that I want to attend that day. So, and yeah. there's good and bad to that. Obviously this is not the place for that discussion, but it'd be wild if you um, could walk up on stage in the middle of the band and like with spatial audio, like now the drums are behind you and you could walk over by the guitar player and yeah. hear the guitar more. Well, I mean, we, and we have, we have clang now, so that's essentially spatial audio, you know, yeah. and it's like, if you got a digico and you've got clang, granted that's on stage, but yeah. um, again, it's like we're the the resources are there. Like as you kind of talk about it, you're like, this is a little creepy. Like we're closer to yeah. this. We're closer this to the robot apocalypse than I think we think. Yeah, it could happen. Totally. Sure. All right. So we for only sure. have a few more minutes left, but I have a couple more questions I want to get through. What type of church should use mm-hmm. Ableton Live versus an app like Prime or Playback? Yeah. I'll say this as a, a generic thing. And I say this, even if I'm not on an interview with a person who creates an app that plays back multi-track content. Yeah. If you're a worship leader and you're getting started with tracks, playback or prime is, is, is the way like, do not start on Ableton. Um, if you're starting with tracks, start with playback or prime. I think the shift to using Ableton is really for people that again, want to dive deeper into the content, want to be a little more, um, intentional about an example I use that I think is, and I always say this, I've done a couple of videos where I've said, you know, if loop community ever adds this or multi-tracks adds this to playback or prime, like it's going to be the downfall is there's a, there's a certain extent to where there are certain things that playback and prime should not ever do. And if they add, then they've missed the point, you know, like, yes. like the, the, the beauty of prime is simplicity. Yeah. And I, I, I say, um, and we were working on this at multi-tracks for, years before I left, but they implemented after I left, but I was a part of those discussions, but even the whole, and I know prime does this too, but even the whole, um, apps controlling lyrics and lights and stuff, I, I feel like we're right on the edge there. Like, I feel like I understand why you have to do it and, and the apps can make it way simpler to do, but we're right on the edge of, I think maybe a little too much. And so uh, the example Mm -hmm. I always give, let me give you a practical example or, or or I will talk forever. Um, when it comes to Ableton, um, being very intentional with transitions and and like bringing the song exactly where you want it and getting a full timeline view um, uh, of where you want things and then saying, okay, in this transition, I actually want to take the drums out. So like, let's pull the drums out here and let's pull this out. I'm going to lose fingers in a second, but like, let's, let's move, remove clips to get our transition just right. And then even in the middle of a song to say, we've got seven electric parts. Well, I, I want to mute three of them, but I actually want, the bridge part yeah. of this one part, you know, I want to bring mm-hmm. that up. Um, 
little things right. like that that currently can only be done in Ableton, um, I think should stay that way. And there's worship leaders, though, that uh, will never want to do that, and that's fine, and they should stay in Prime or Playback, and that's great. But I yeah. think for those that want to go a little further, move a little further, want to use keys live on stage, hosting in Ableton, uh, want to use Ableton to record and edit their church's podcast to record songs. Um, yeah. uh, those are things Ableton can do. Ableton is a full doll. And, uh, yeah. but again, if you're starting playback or prime, no, no like conversation for me, if you're starting out yeah. 100%, that's where you should start. Yeah, I agree with that too. We have people who come to us and ask us to add all sorts of features to prime that would basically make it Ableton. And I tell them, no, <laughs> go use yeah. Ableton because yeah. the whole point of prime was to just give worship leaders the basic needs for running tracks, like simplicity, yeah. like not every worship leader needs to get super, technical and uh geeky with it but some do and have yeah. the need and the desire and in that case then you should go use ableton live because you can do That's anything in it and i yeah. never want prime to become like ableton because they both serve a role and a purpose for a different people's needs and right. um just like mm -hmm. i would never want ableton live to strip away features to make it simpler you know yeah i want That's ableton good. to stay like very advanced which they will, yeah. of course, but I'm just using that analogy in that like, we don't want to add features to become like Ableton and I don't want Ableton to remove mm -hmm. features to become like Prime. Uh, That's really good. The, the analogy I always give is it's kind of like buying a Harley and then getting really mad that your family of six like can't ride the Harley to take the kids to school. And you're like, yeah. it's not like you, you got, you know, it's, this, this minivan and this Harley are two different things. Like yeah. don't want the, don't try to make this be that, you know, it's not that one is better than the other. It's like, it's all context and it's all what yep. you're trying to do. So um, yeah. And I think I have to say too, man, what, what you guys have done with prime um, the, the one piece of my job that I miss uh, at multi-tracks was the product development side of things. Yeah. And, um, and that's something I still like, I'll text my buddy Tyler and I'm like, man, you remember when we did this? You remember when we did that? Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I still miss, like the product development side of, of what you guys have done with prime um, in the integration with, with all the hardware stuff you guys have is just, it's unbelievable. And I, I think where it's continuing to go, it's like, um, it's, it's just amazing. I can't wait to see what you guys continue to do, but where yeah. it is even now is just like, it's mind blowing. So congrats on that. Thanks, Keep diving man. deep on the product stuff. That's, that's the one, one piece of, uh, of my job that I really miss is that like dreaming of yeah. product stuff and dreaming things up. It was super, super fun. What was your favorite thing that you worked on when you were there? Like, what is, what's the thing that you look back on? You're like, I'm most proud of this feature. Like this took like all of my energy, all of my creative like thought, is there something that you're like, you look back on and you're the most proud of? Yeah, I think there's one thing I don't know that I'm allowed to say. Uh, it exists, okay. but like it was basically the the creation of a underlining technology um, that okay. allows a certain product to do what it does. Um, and that's something that me and my buddy Tyler, I don't know that, and I don't expect multi-tracks to ever like roll out the red carpet and bring us back when we're 50 and say, congratulations to Will and Ty Tyler Praying for doing this. But yeah. Um, I do look back at that as something that like we drastically changed and shaped the future of multi-tracks and their product releases by us to, uh, literally creating this thing from scratch, which was really fun. Interesting. Um, so, but the thing that, um, the thing that I can talk about, uh, that I think was the, the most fun to me was the shift from, I, and I've seen you do this as well too. And any, smart company. It's not like I'm the, the person that came up with this, but um, I think I really was uh, uh, 
what's the best way? I was very fundamental in shifting multitracks from being a disparate product company to being an ecosystem. And I think any company like Loop Community, Multitracks, any resource company that creates software and hardware products, like um, you've got to see things as an ecosystem and you've got to yeah. start going, what would happen if Prime could control ProPresenter? What would happen yeah. if this, you plugged in this MIDI foot controller and it automatically mm -hmm. does that sort of stuff? So I think, um, and that was something that, um, you know, everybody has thoughts of doing, but I think um, before I was at Multitracks, that's not something they were like, actively striving to do or, or fully understood how to to bring together and so yeah um that was really really fun i miss doing that i miss dreaming about how we can make things simpler for worship leaders um which was really really fun but yeah there were again the product development thing i mean you know this it's like super fun it's super rewarding it's awesome being i remember you and i were um what's the sweetwater thing uh gear fest i think two yep. or three years ago and uh, we're just sitting there talking and probably three people came to, up to us in the middle of us talking and say, thank you for what you guys have done. And that's like yeah. a super rewarding thing to know. There's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of churches all around the globe that are um, leading people into the presence of, uh, of God yeah. and, and are using a bit of like training or technology. A little knowledge. Created, I think yeah, that they yeah. got from a YouTube video or a one-on-one -on -one training yeah. and it spreads too. It's like you, That's it's right. with igniting one fire and then it just kind of spreads and they start getting their That's worship right. leader friends on it. That's it is right. pretty amazing. Will, you it's did really a great job. Incredible. You did a great job with the products over there at Multitracks. Um, Thank you. Cause even like what you do with playback, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's a great app. And uh, that's kind of, I really wanted to know that question of like, what is the one thing that you really were, were proud of there? Because I think you really did a lot. And yeah. that's one of your superpowers is I think seeing like new products, innovation, how to make um, things easier for worship leaders. So mm. I think it's awesome. Well done. So the other thing that you're innovating on, and this is the last question I have for you is just talk about from studio to stage. So what yeah. is from studio to stage? Why did you start it? Um, what's been the biggest challenge for you in building it? And how can people get involved? Just give us the whole spiel on from studio stage. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was at Multitracks doing product development and I loved it. But I realized my passion and um, the word calling is a little scary sometimes because people can say God's going to do things and justify mm -hmm. it. But um, I do feel like it's kind of this like, what's the one thing that's placed on the planet that you can you're uniquely gifted and talented to do. Yeah. And for me, that's, that's teaching and training and, uh, and taking complex things and making them simple, um, which is quite ironic because I come from a long line of overcomplicators and over engineers. Um, but um, I, I think that's something I do really well. And so I left Multitracks three years ago to start from studio to stage and from studio to stage is a online Ableton live certified training center. Um, and kind of the goal is to help people uh, and teach people how to run tracks like a pro with Ableton Live. And so um, it's a it's an online subscription based uh, platform. And the cool thing about this, and I'm going to share my screen just so you guys can see this if you want to make me take me full screen. Um, and so uh, from studio to stage, uh, a couple things I'll just walk everybody through. So we have over right now we have over 50 courses um, and they're all 24 seven on demand access. And so. Uh, what that means is at any time that you want to log in and watch uh, a course, you can log in and watch a course. You can download the From Studio to Stage app uh, to get online, uh, offline access to content. Um, but what's cool is we have different unique paths. And so, for instance, you can go to the playback path, not to be confused with the app playback, but just the general concept of using playback. Um, and I'll introduce you to my three-part framework for using tracks, which is something I came up with 
uh, probably about 10 years ago, which is just a unique way to approach using tracks in live. Um, and then take you from tracks 101 all the way to 301, show you how to use Setlist and Taz Pro, Taz Lite, uh, if you're if you're interested in doing that. Uh, and then basically all the gear that you uh, would use with it, iConnectivity interfaces from the MIDI 4 Plus, Mio XM, Play Audio 12, uh, Oak Tone, some of the stuff our mutual friend Jeff Kaler's made, some of his uh, devices and plugins. Actually, I need to get a Loop Community one, so... Uh, I got to get a loop to miss and, and track rig stuff uh, on the side. Yeah, we should soon. get that stuff to you. Um, yeah, I would love to love we'll to do that because the goal, part part of the goal with from studio to stage is um, help you understand the ecosystem. We used the e word yeah. earlier, ecosystem, but it's like it's not just Ableton, it's not just tracks. And so uh, the other thing here that's that's uh, really nice is the control path. And so the control path will teach you how to use Ableton Live to control almost anything and everything. So. Two, two fundamental classes, Ableton Live control types, making the connection are kind of the like ABCs and how to form paragraphs and sentences. And then from there, we show how to control Resolume, QLab, Vista, PVP, PTZ optics cameras, OBS, Luminaire, ProPresenter 6, ProPresenter 7, uh, just a generic kind of how to control lights, uh, and then Touch OSC. And, and I, I add a new course every single month. And so that catalog is growing. Um, the shop has all my templates I've ever created or released, wow. which is great. Um, and so patches, presets are able to lie. My basic advanced tracks template foundations 3.0, which is a click track guide queue player, uh, all sorts of stuff is there. And then in addition to that, we've got a community that's exclusive to the site. And then I do a monthly yeah. call, um, every single month with students. That's just, uh, for students. And, um, it's just kind of an AMA style thing where people can ask me any questions and we dive into that. And, um, and so what's cool, the site is, um, Really, again, the site is just geared to like provide support and provide an exact kind of framework to walk people through, uh, whether you're a complete beginner or whether you're super advanced. And again, it goes back to that humbly confident, humbly curious thing. Uh, we, we have folks that are incredibly advanced. We have folks that are just started. Uh, we have folks that are worship leaders at small churches, big churches. We have people that are playback techs out on the road with major artists uh, do it, you know, in giant stadiums. And so it's a really cool kind of diverse community of people from um, all different experiences and how they're using live. But um, it, it's all focused on being available whenever you want to access it. So again, like I said, 24 seven, all access uh, on demand. And um, what's really cool, I sent a link to Derek earlier that will be in the description of this. And if you guys are chatting, live derek may have already uh shared this i don't know but um we'll throw that in there that's an exclusive kind of link just for folks watching this uh where i've got kind of an exclusive offer for anyone that subscribes that has watched this uh but you got to head to that link to figure out what that is uh and it's kind of a time limited uh thing but if you're watching this click the link in the description or the chat to head over there um and then the other thing i mentioned too is i started in 2022 releasing uh a youtube video every single day uh, which is quite nuts and has kept me quite busy. Um, but I've got a link as well that I shared with Derek that um, will take you over to the YouTube channel um, and you can subscribe there for free. Uh, but again, we literally have, we release a video every single day uh, and have playlists of all the different contents, uh, content. And so whether you're looking for gear stuff, uh, doing sound design, running tracks, uh, whatever it is, uh, we do that. There's two podcasts I do, one called Behind the Space Bar, which is about playback. And then on Thursdays, we do Volunteer Friendly, which is a new one um, that you will not like and it will frustrate you as a worship leader because I ask questions like, uh, has excellence become an idol? Oh, let's turn that, pause that. Uh, has excellence become an idol? Uh, is hashtag worship fails beneficial? Planning versus spontaneity. Uh, what does it mean to lead worship with technology? And the goal of that podcast is 10 minutes. I don't like present my viewpoint. 
I just ask a question. And so it's it's pretty thought provoking. Uh, you won't like it. It'll make you quite frustrated, but uh, I think you'll like it because it will make you think. So um, we got those two links, that one kind of exclusive link to, uh, I'll send all my free resources that I have to you guys if you head over there and then uh, an exclusive offer if you subscribe. And then definitely check out the YouTube channel. Again, every single day I'm releasing content um which is quite a challenge but is so so fun because it's uh it's that's why again that's why i left multitracks is to teach and train so i might as well teach and train every single day which is great so um it's a blast wow man that's a lot of videos to be releasing <laughs> all the time so you record one every day Basically, uh so i i yeah, I release one every single day, so I record it in batches. Um, yeah. But uh, but it's fun. And you you did ask, and I know I'm running over time, but you did ask like, what's the hardest part? I think uh, to me, the most fulfilling and hardest part is it's just me and my wife. Um, yeah. It's not a team of people. I'll get people emailing like, hey, from Studio to Stage team, blah blah blah, and uh, it's just me. Um, but what's rewarding about that is we live in a time yeah. again where uh, there's this thing called the creator economy, where creators can literally build businesses just based off content yeah. and, and teaching and training and i love it so it's been super yeah. super fun super rewarding and it's fun interacting with folks and, and hearing comments of how it's helping or suggestions on how to do it better that's fun as well too. Yeah. it's always here well done man well done because that's also taking a huge risk a step out you know i'm sure there's even people here thinking like oh man i i have some sort of vision or passion about something i want to do mm -hmm. but i'm scared to quit my job to go do it and pursue it and it takes a risk to do that and so uh, well done with what you've built. And also, I, I just want to say thank you for putting years and years, I mean, decades almost, into Ableton Live and pouring into worship leaders. Uh, you've done so many trainings. I've watched a lot of your videos. Um, and I know there's a lot of worship leaders and churches that have impacted by what you've done. And uh, I just think it's really awesome. And I appreciate you. Thank you. And thanks for joining thanks, on this uh, Loop Live and sharing all these thoughts. I always wanted to get together with the two two Ableton trainers. I don't know. Are there other CTs in the worship space? Yeah. Uh, Jeff Kaler. He's over in oh, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Kaler's in Hong Kong. Uh, Dustin Raglan, who now works for Ableton. He was Charlie Hall's drummer for a while. Dustin's a great oh, wow. team. Um, but it, it was kind of uh, you and me are the OGs, man. And for I have to say, I, I know we're... I know we're running out of time. I just really quickly want to say, like, anybody watching this, Matt is the real deal. And uh, probably three years ago, I think we were at GearFest, and I'm not going to share the content of our conversation, but uh, Matt and I just had a conversation that, again, just reminded me of, like, what it means to be a Christian and what it means yeah. to follow Christ. And, like, just the – the I left that conversation, tears in my eyes, and told my wife, I was like, man, I freaking love Matt McCoy. And I've just I, – likewise, I'm so appreciative of how you've served the church and the things you have done. <laughs> And, uh, and for anybody watching this, I'm just telling you, man, Matt is the real deal. There's, there's a lot of people that can turn on a camera and teach things. And uh, a lot of people that can build a platform, but like Matt truly loves Christ, follows Christ, listens to uh, what he tells him to do. And, um, and I just, I still look back at our conversation at GearFest, man. And it was just, uh, it was such a blessing to me. So I'm thankful for yeah. what you've done, Matt. And, uh, and this has been super, super fun. I've loved this. I appreciate you saying that, man. I had the same feeling from that conversation as well. I remember it very That's clearly. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks, man. Thanks for joining. We'll have to do this again. Maybe maybe some Who's other time it? we'll have to get the other uh, two CTs in the worship space all together. We'll do like a big panel and just talk worship Ableton Live. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. That'd be super but, uh, fun. Good to see you again, man. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Matt. Take care, everybody. All right, everybody. You heard it from the man himself, Will Doggett. So awesome to have him on here. I. I've followed Will for a long time. Um, 
gosh, I honestly can't remember, but I think I first heard of Will when I was on staff at Willow Creek, which was, gosh, 13 years ago or so. And I remember he was doing loops and worship and starting to do some Ableton Live videos and just so much good information. So if you have not followed Will, make sure you go find Will on Instagram, social media, um, get on YouTube for sure. Go find From Studio to Stage. Watch these videos that he's putting out. You're going to learn so much about using Ableton Live, using tracks and worship and technology in general. And also, I'm actually really excited. That's the first time I'd heard about this podcast he's doing, Volunteer Friendly. I'm going to go check that out because that also sounds very interesting uh, just to kind of challenge you and sharpen you as a worship leader. So make sure you go to from studio to stage.com. Sign up. The link in the description in the video, if it's not there already, we're going to put it there right after this video. Click the link below to get the special deal for from studio to stage. Thank you, Will, for offering that to everybody. And uh, yeah, I just would encourage everybody to go check that out. And if you have any questions or what I would also love to hear, if there's one thing that really stood out to you from this conversation, write it down in the chats, wherever you're watching this video. And uh, just write down what was one thing that you walked away from this conversation um, that piqued your interest the most. So thanks, as always, for joining us for Loop Live. We'll see you next time. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Matt. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, let us know what you thought. Write down in the comments, wherever you're listening, watching from, what you thought. Make sure you send us a message. Subscribe to our channel, YouTube, Facebook. And stay tuned for more from Lip Community.